0: What does healing mean to you?
1: really is being able to get yourself to a place where you find the right balance. You make the right decisions to bring balance to your life so that when you go to bed at night, you can fall asleep and then you can rest.
0: Voices, the Mental Health Podcast, raising unanswered questions, sharing unanswered
2: prayers. We are faith-based, peer-led, story-driven, and stigma-breaking. I am Tony Roberts. I am Eric Riddle. And we are revealing voices. voices.
0: How we doing?
2: Hey, Eric. I'm doing just peachy keen. Yourself?
0: I'm also peachy keen. We're feeling the love here.
2: I'm very much feeling loved and loving my my wife, Susan, right now. We're, we're in a good patch together, having been through a difficult year, as everyone has. This has been particularly difficult for us with both of my parents dying. The Lord is providing... You know, we have jobs that allow us to stay home. Uh, yeah. We've had the birth of—funny how you know—they talk about the cycle of life and birth. You know, we've we've said goodbye to two uh, of our parents and said hello to two grandchildren. <laughs> yeah, so you know, I mean, it it really it really is a, a marvelous, mysterious, miraculous thing.
0: Yes. So since our last show, your mother passed away.
2: My mom, Patsy, and earlier my, my father, right. Uh Yeah, my mom, in a very uh, sudden way, she had been in pain all her life, but was never really diagnosed with anything substantive. They decided they would put her uh, a pain pump, just a very simple outpatient procedure to try to help her eased her pain, whatever the source. During that time, something went wrong and she went to the ER and then uh, went from there uh, to a room and then to a rehab center. And within 10 days, we got a call. They were rushing her to the hospital and she went into a coma within hours and died the next day of COVID. But my sister talked with the hospice nurse practitioner, and it sounds like there were many factors and that COVID simply aggressively accelerated it. There will be further investigation.
0: (laughs) Tony, I cannot imagine losing both my parents in just a few months time like that.
2: It has been hard, it has thrown me for a loop. Between those two things and, and quite honestly, the state of world affairs, especially the, uh, the, uh, capital, uh, uprising, you know, I've been, uh, my mental health has just been challenged to the wazoo, but we're getting a grip on it. We, you know, making, making progress. And that's again one, my love for Susan. I never could have. Could have made it through this without her.
0: Mm -hmm. I will say when it comes to mental health, you know, it is the entire spectrum of things that, you know, we just perceive as completely internal events. I mean, from the very Mm -hmm. chemicals in our brain all the way out to, like you say, world affairs. And all of these things have an impact. And I think sometimes we can minimize those things happening outside of us like they shouldn't impact us, but Mm -hmm. they do. And I think we have to give ourselves more grace and ground ourselves in reality that it's okay to have emotional responses to things that happen hundreds of miles away from us.
2: And you know, another thing that relates to the program we're about to hear is giving ourselves permission that there may be circumstances And periods of time where we may need some medication for it, just like there may be medication for kidneys or, you know, insulin or, you know, it's like when your body gets out of whack, well, you know, your body is connected to your mind and your spirit and everything lives within the body of the world, you know. The knee bone connected to the ankle bone, and the ankle bone connected to yeah. how, the, how all those things are connected, including our global global world.
0: I do want to say, you know, this is a little bit of a different subject, but for Christmas, my sister Maria uh, got me the Calm app, a year yes. subscription, and when you get into that, uh, there is like a 30-day type of intro with about a 12... 15-minute guided meditation on just different mm-hmm. kind of approaches to meditation. And uh, I've really appreciated it. Uh, I've listened mm-hmm. almost every day and done that. And,
2: You're a meditating kind yeah. of guy.
0: Yeah. And it, it really helps. Uh, I've noticed it, you know, when I'm not meditating, being able to kind of integrate some of that mental approach and you know, part of it's just a t- attention to your body, you know, and mm-hmm. that was something we talked about with Sybil Towner is noticing your body and being mm-hmm. able to, you know, change your approach to mm-hmm. to life. I mean, just getting up from a desk when you're feeling some tension can make a world of difference.
2: My Buddhist friend, Bart, would say that you're enlightened. You, for a Christian, you, you're enlightened. You make a good Christian. Mm-hmm. And that's part of it. I think we all need that calm, that reflective spirit that is certainly rooted in the Christian tradition, as you know, from the labyrinth and other meditative practices. I'm glad that's helping.
0: Yeah, it, it's been really nice. It's funny. There's a, these like sleep stories, they call them. And I did one for uh-huh. the first time the other night. I had my earbuds in. And I did not like it at all. Like I couldn't sleep. It was like yeah. some guy from Game of Thrones talking about yeah. floating down canals in yeah. England. And for whatever reason, it was kind of like not my thing. And so I yeah. took out the earbuds, put yeah. them on my bedstand, fell asleep eventually. And then in the morning, I wake up and one of my earbuds is gone. Oh no. And I'm like, oh no, one of the cats got to it.
2: <laughs> and
0: so I look and I find this little, you know, like there'll be like a plastic piece on an earbud. Well, I find it shredded
2: <laughs>
0: on our main floor. And I'm like, okay, it's on the main floor. And I'm like, looked everywhere in our room up on the top floor on the bottom floor and jen's like you know those cats could take it all the way to the basement oh yeah no doubt and i'm like okay i'll go in the basement i look all over the basement i finally find it in a corner of our furnace room Oh my! and i'm like there it is so it went from our bedroom on the top floor to our furnace room on the bottom floor More stuff going on. It's been about, what, three months uh, since we've had a recording here. I I will say I have joined the local Sierra Club as a board member, and I'm pretty excited uh, about that. And this whole relationship with the Sierra Club really started with my promotion of pollinator plants. And right around the time I got into that, they started doing a native plant sale through a really nice nursery up in uh, in Muncie, Indiana, called Spence Nursery. It's really exciting. We're going to have like 60 different pollinators available here in Columbus. So if you and Susan want any, man, I got the hookup for you. It'll be online by, uh, by tomorrow, the list. We may just
2: take, uh, take you up on that. Uh...
0: I will say, and we talked about this you know, with Rachel last year, that getting down and dirty in the earth with plants, watching them grow all of that, it has an impact on mental health. You bet it does. And I love it. You know, I, I think it's easy to get kind of separated from the fact that we're part of creation, right? And, and when you're in the middle of it like that, it, it might be a little bit easier to, to feel connected and really appreciate the beauty around us and participating yeah. in the creation to whatever extent we can, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely, and you know, our early um, ancestors, patriotic ancestors, I I was, had the privilege of going to Thomas Jefferson's
0: Monticello, right? Monticello, yeah. Monticello?
2: Yeah. Right. Boy, did he ever know some things about gardening? Yeah. Um, you look at George Washington Carver. Right. Um, and all he he learned about more than just the peanut and sweet potato and stuff, but the earth you could just go on and on about people who were brilliant minds and part of their brilliance was knowing the earth that we live in
0: yes that is definitely the case
2: so i hope we can take good care of it and uh restore what we've done to it and uh be good stewards of god's creation
0: the spring will be here soon tony
2: i'm hoping so and you know we have mild temperatures so far, and they say it's good to have a, a enough cold in your winter to kill off bugs and stuff. Is that true?
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm and, thankful for the snow out there. I love snow. I'm glad we've oh, had I some here recently. So. Well, shall we transition talking about Eli Perez?
2: Yes, Eli. Yeah, great guest. We were hooked up with Eli through actually a, a, a committee that he serves on with my wife, Susan. Well, Susan was one of the players who was asked to contribute to, uh, this grand design of creating, a, I'm going to call it a hub of, uh, unconventional. Yes. Part, participants or providers or
0: stakeholders,
2: stakeholders. There you go. So basically, um, People involved in healthcare, especially the pharmaceutical industry, rather than just going to the psychiatrists and the general practitioners, uh, in this case, the the psychiatrists uh, and the prescribers, saw the need to go to a broader base of advocates and people like uh, National Alliance on Mental Health, Mental Health. America Depression Bipolar Support Association. Susan's is uh, uh, CEA, Correctional Education Association. And uh, of course, we know that there are more people in prison who have mental illness than there are in psychiatric institutions. They clearly have a role to, to play at the table. Susan is uh, past president now. She was president at the time and she uh, has been, she was on a podcast and has been participating in roundtable discussions in, in Washington, D.C., and virtually with Eli. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and for our listeners, as we get into this, uh, Nexus Mental Health, that's N E X U S Mental dot com, that will give you a lot of background on um, what Eli Perez is talking about. I really um, encourage you to get on there you know after you listen to to see what they're all about they're they're really bringing a lot of people to the table and i I think they're going to have an impact on the mental health care field
2: yeah i think so it's it's an exciting endeavor and certainly needed to uh, tackle a very large problem with a complex solution
0: All right, Tony, we have our first guest of 2021, Eli Perez. He is the director of patient advocacy and stakeholder management for Otsuka Pharmaceutical and plays a leading role in Nexus.
2: Yes, and we just found out that he is a somewhat enjoyable golfer. Is that the word? Not competitive, but a hacker. Absolutely.
0: Now, NEXUS stands for Neuroscience Experts and Cross-Sector Unconventional Stakeholders. And, you know, that word unconventional is one you don't hear a lot in acronyms. So why don't we start there, Eli, and give our listeners a sense of what you mean by unconventional?
1: Sure. And first off, you know, thank you, Eric. Thank you, Tony, for inviting me. Uh, here today. Um, Didn't realize I was your first guest of 2021. So I'm honored by that. So again, thank you. Um, Coming back to Nexus. Yes, it's an acronym. It's a mouthful. Um, And I'll unpack the entire acronym. uh, And then we can focus in on unconventional stakeholders. So I work for a pharmaceutical company, uh, Otsuka America Pharmaceutical, based in Princeton, New Jersey. And I would say traditionally, most pharmaceutical companies, when we go about identifying unmet needs and then trying to identify solutions to those unmet needs, we have tended to work with our experts, right? The audiences we are accustomed to working with, and that would consist of healthcare professionals. In my case, I work primarily with psychiatrists. I focus in on mental health conditions in the work that I do. Um, And so we work with psychiatrists, But we also work with patient advocacy organizations, uh, such as the National Alliance on Mental Illness or Mental Health America, the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance. These are just some of the groups that we've worked with. And we work with these groups, again, to identify unmet needs and potential solutions. What we've seen in the research that we've done for Nexus is that we've made some progress in areas, right? And I'm talking about the field as a whole. While we've made progress in some areas, it seems like we've taken steps back in others. And we believe that this is due to the fact that there are so many more stakeholders that need to be at the table to represent their view of these unmet needs and to really think about their role in addressing these unmet needs. So what role can they play in a solution? Uh, And so that's where the unconventional stakeholders piece comes in, right? We're trying to bring together the audiences we've traditionally worked with, but also bring in these additional groups. And I would say unconventional for us, right? I would say there are other groups like NAMI and MHA and others who have always brought in these other constituencies. But for us, it's quite unconventional. And so we want to reach out to law enforcement. We want to reach out to uh, educators. We want to reach out to counselors. Again, audiences we haven't traditionally worked with to help bring us more light more insight into particular problems and then we can ideate more broadly on solutions because we believe that the more legs a solution has uh, the more potential that solution has for really driving impact and driving change within
2: this group you're working with what would be examples of some current projects you're working on i know a lot of that has been Uh, adapted because of the pandemic, and we'll get to that later, but maybe what you were aiming at when you started and you're hoping to pick up when things change.
1: Absolutely. So you're absolutely right, Tony. The pandemic, I think not just for us, but really forced many organizations to pivot in the work they were doing. And so at the end of 2019, and 2019 is really when we formed Nexus Uh, When we were able to complete our research in terms of unmet needs, we were able to identify uh, collaborators. We were able to pull together a steering committee and broader advisory committees. At the end of 2019, we began the process of ideating around solutions to the unmet needs that we identified. Going into 2020, our hope was to pull together a summit where we would actually be able to vet these ideas with the end users, if you will. So with law enforcement representation, with educators, with others, um, and really to get that feedback. Does this make sense? Does this resonate? Do we believe that these will work? How do we build upon these ideas or do we tear some of them down and start over? Really we want to hear from the individuals who are being impacted so that we could put forth the most effective solutions. With COVID, Uh, We kind of had to put those plans on hold. Uh, We weren't sure at that point in time, how are virtual meetings going to work? Will they be effective? I think across our industry and across many industries, there were many questions about how effective can you be in a virtual environment. And so we put the plans for a summit on hold. And what we decided to do was really generate awareness, first of all, of the unmet needs we were trying to address, generate some awareness of Nexus and the mission that we were undertaking. But also what we wanted to do was bring focus to our collaborators and the great initiatives that they've already had in place. Because what we found is there was lots of messaging regarding the need to care for yourself, to care for yourself mentally during the pandemic, But we felt there was a lack of direction with regards to how do you go about doing that? What resources can I tap into? So what we decided to do was really bring to the forefront the initiatives that our collaborators were developing, putting forth to address the pandemic. And so one example of this, I would say, is the Building Mental Resiliency video series uh, that we pulled together. Uh, You can go to the Atsuka US YouTube page, look up Building Mental Resiliency, and you'll see the videos that we pulled together. Uh, The first one, we were able to collaborate with Dan Gillison uh, of NAMI, with two physicians, Drs. Rakesh and Sandra Jain, and Michael Pollack of the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance. And really, the conversation was about mental health, the impact of the pandemic on mental health and the resources that they had pulled together to address or to help support individuals who maybe were seeing um, detrimental impact on their mental health, who they could reach out to, who they could connect with. Um, So we highlighted those resources. We then collaborated, there's five videos, we, we focused on the impact of the pandemic on individuals with Alzheimer's disease. We focus on, in a different video, the impact of the pandemic on individuals uh, with chronic diseases, such as chronic kidney disease. And then we also uh, pulled together a series of podcasts, again, focusing on our collaborators, bringing more awareness to unmet needs in this space that we're looking to address, uh, potential ideas from those collaborators, Uh, in terms of things we should be focusing on as we think about what an effective solution looks like, uh, we put together a newsletter uh, known as Nexus Perspectives uh, that, again, highlights uh, great initiatives in the field that are already underway that folks should be aware of. Because what we also know is that we don't need to recreate the wheel uh, in all the work that we do. There's really great work uh, across the country being done to address some of these unmet needs. It's just that these initiatives haven't necessarily been scaled up uh, in a way to have a national impact Uh, and also uh, folks just need to be aware of what's working Um, and so that's what we've tried to do this year this past year in 2020 is really focusing on what's already happening generating awareness of the collaborative uh, so that as we move forward our plans are to get back on track in 2021 uh, to really, again, put forth these potential flagship solutions, pull together this summit to get that real-world feedback, uh, and then continue to work with our current partners, new partners, uh, to help bring these ideas uh, to life.
0: Eli, you've you've been very busy. Uh, you know what I would say? Uh, <laughs>
1: absolutely, um, and it's 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 been fantastic to look back and say, even though we were in this pandemic, this environment. Uh, We were still able to pivot effectively.
0: The thing I will say is one, it's very impressive. All of the media you've created is so specific to COVID. You know, I can only imagine going into last year, it was a completely different outlook for what you would be doing. And COVID happened, you pivoted, you did an excellent job. What you put out there is very particular to the needs of people at the time, right? And A comment I would make is the value of this, you know, vast network of partners that you have created is you have the ability to do that. Because you have the partners in place, you can go to them and say, hey, we are pivoting, we really need to draw from your organization how you are responding, and you're able to do that, right? And I think that's just one part of the value that you can bring with the work you had already done, the foundation you all had placed. So thank you for for that contribution last
1: year. I appreciate that, thank you for that, Eric. I think the other value that comes in this is that we've also been able to hopefully spark collaborations between the collaborators we work with, and we step out of it. What we've spoken to right at the very beginning is that there's, as I said, great work being done by these different organizations there may be opportunities for them to partner to strengthen their programming. And so, again, we don't need to be part of that. So we also see ourselves as connectors, and we're more than happy to connect various groups. Uh, And then, as I mentioned, uh, step out of the way. We don't need to be part of every conversation. Uh, It's about really bringing together all of these different parties, coming to a common understanding of what – Unmet needs are what potential solutions could look like, uh, and then hopefully identifying folks to champion these efforts. Yes,
2: there's a, a phrase and where it's like a mental health cycle, mental illness, where you go from the streets to the prisons to the the psych hospital, and then back to the streets, and this cycle that that we seem to have found ourselves in. Some would say because of the closure of state hospitals, but I know in our community, and I I think our community in Columbus, Indiana is really a model community for collaboration, you know, Um, and yet if you talk with the police officers or the first responders, mental health workers, or churches or, you know, all of that, there's still so much to do. I mean, you, you get somebody on the street and they have nowhere to go. Is that one of one of the benchmarks that, you know, once you get your your feet on the ground, you're hoping to to have a, a leg up on?
1: Absolutely. That's one of the unmet need areas that we've identified for Nexus. So what, I, what I'll do now is just take a step back. Uh, With regards to Nexus, uh, what I'll share, and then we can go more directly to your question, Tony, uh, is that we've identified three pillars of focus for Nexus. Uh, The first is youth mental health. The second is women's mental health. And then the third is mental health for individuals who are coming into contact with the justice system. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Mm -hmm. so those are our three focus areas. And then more specifically to your question, Tony. Mm -hmm. We absolutely see a need to address the recidivism, right? So the idea mm-hmm. that there are individuals who are cycling back in because there is a lack of appropriate support for the individual. One, when they come in uh, to the justice system, uh, there's there seems to be a complete disconnect of any understanding of of this person's history uh, and whether or not they had a relationship with an HCP, whether or a healthcare professional, Uh, where did they come from? What was their medical history? Uh, Who can we get some background information from? There seems to be a complete start from scratch. And so, uh, and there are also many individuals who come into the justice system and are diagnosed for the first time. Uh, And there's been lots of conversation around whether or not prisons, jails are the right place to have someone diagnosed for the right time? Is this the right place for individuals to receive treatment? Obviously, we don't believe that to be the case. There needs to be appropriate diversion programs. Um, There need to be uh, appropriate steps taken so that these individuals uh, do receive the the care that they do uh, require. Um, That being said, there are individuals today who are caught up, unfortunately, in the system uh, and are cycling through, and we absolutely want to work with our collaborators, our partners, to understand how can we break this cycle, Uh, how can we ensure that as an individual is discharged, uh, that the appropriate supports are in place. Uh, so that they can care for themselves, connecting them with peers, uh, understanding you know what is their housing situation, what is their employment situation, uh, what is their medical situation, uh, are they going to be connected with a healthcare professional once they leave. And so uh, this is definitely an area that we want to tackle. And as we get back on track in 2021, uh, we will absolutely uh, be mm-hmm. getting our heads together to think about this.
0: Great. Eli, I will say continuity of care to really make a difference there would be a massive thing for the healthcare system. You know, I have found even in transitioning from an inpatient mental health facility to outpatient mental health facility is difficult. So when that's difficult, how would you possibly be able to go from the criminal justice system, you know, prison jail into outpatient treatment? I mean, that's a, another level of having to really find the connections that are appropriate to ensure that people have a continuity of care?
1: Continuity of care um, is absolutely very important, not only for the justice system, but also for youth, right? Uh, in terms of, and continuity of care, for us, that translates to really transitions or what we call critical junctures, right? In an individual's journey uh, with their particular, particular mental health condition. Uh, and so, you know, you think about that, those critical junctures, as you pointed out, Eric, transitioning from inpatient to outpatient, transitioning from uh, being uh, caught up in the justice system to transitioning out. Uh, we think about youth uh, transitioning from being a high school student to becoming a college student if you're pursuing mm-hmm. a higher degree of education. And what we found for youth, you know, kind of a parallel is when you're in high school, at least I know when I was in high school, most of my Healthcare decisions were made for me. Uh, I will say, my children. I have two kids in high school and one who's a freshman in college. And most of my high school kids, we make their healthcare decisions. Yeah. When are yeah. they going to see the doctor? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. path forward in terms of treatment. Uh, when kids go off to college, we don't prepare them to care for themselves. When they're going on to a campus, uh, when they're going to come into contact with health services. Uh, what steps do you take? When do you take them? So, so I think that's a critical juncture in terms of, you know, going from decisions made for you to having to make your own healthcare decisions. Uh, I think we definitely look at this continuity of care idea in many different ways and across our different pillars.
0: Eli, I will say, in my personal life, I transitioned in high school as a sophomore to a different community, you know, two hours away. That was very difficult for me, and then going from high school to college. Uh, I went in college, overseas for a year, and then transitioning from a career into graduate school. All four of those transitions were difficult for me, and, and I've got to think that it's also difficult for a lot of other people, and it, it's really, I would say, a missed opportunity to be able to receive people better in the education system. So. Thank you for working on that. I, I don't think a lot of people pay attention to that. And so for youth to be able to be supported there and, and your emphasis on that's really important, thank you.
2: And I would say, you know, the three of us all experience family privilege if I could coin a, a phrase there instead of white privilege. I mean, we we each had parents and you have parents for your children who uh, were involved in education, were involved in health care, able to provide uh, higher education. Think about those children, those youth who have an age of onset for mental illness around, you know, 16, 17, up to 25, no health care. And now again, we keep coming back to the pandemic, but their primary support system at school has been stripped from them, and their home life may be terrible.
1: Now, I would say, and, and Tony, you mentioned you know, 16, 17, you know, that age group. Uh, I would say for us, absolutely, we're, we're focusing on them, but we're also thinking how young can we go? Yeah. Uh, because I think what we've found in working with uh, some of our collaborators, the data demonstrates that- children are presenting with mental health conditions they're presenting with uh, issues related to trauma much earlier and we see these children uh, reaching out to crisis text line and you know other organizations looking for help uh, looking for uh, a voice um, to really you know try to shed some light on the experiences that they're going through because they feel so isolated and so alone uh, and so we're we're thinking, how do we push earlier as well? You know, how do we mobilize schools in their entirety that to come, yeah. uh, you know, alongside a, a child in need uh, to make sure that they're receiving the the support that they need, uh, understanding how mental health conditions may present themselves, how trauma may present itself. Uh, We know that boys and girls present differently. This is another area that we're focusing in uh, with regards to nexus is understanding the differences between boys and girls. Uh, You know, I don't want to generalize too much, but some of the research that we've done, the interviews that we've conducted, you know, girls seem to present differently than boys, uh, where girls tend to be more withdrawn and I would say quieter um, in their Symptomatology, whereas boys tend to be more uh, disruptive. And so the boys get the attention, the boys might get labeled as bad children, which they shouldn't be. Uh, the girls need just as much support, but may, may not be getting it because they're not, you know, that squeaky wheel, if you will. Uh, and so th- there's a lot that needs to be done around youth uh, to really understand the impact um, of mental health conditions, the impact of trauma, ensuring that all the individuals surrounding these children, uh, whether it's a coach, whether it's a teacher, whether it's the bus driver, whether it's the cafeteria personnel, everyone understands what mental health can, mental health condition can look like, how it can present itself, and hopefully mobilize in the right way. I would say the other thing that we want to, when you look at our pillars and kind of bridging some of our pillars, um, is who, who are the right folks to uh, intervene. You know, we've heard uh, from our collaborators that the one constant is that when there's a crisis, the police will always respond. Uh, and that's great uh, that we can rely on law enforcement to always respond, but are they the right people to respond, right? And it, it's been interesting to hear the debates around defund the police and, you know, all of the negative that goes around that. And I just think, you know, I'm a marketer by training, and so words are so important. Uh, And to me, it's not defunding the police, it's right funding the police. Let's make sure that they're getting the right funding to do what they should do. And then if there are better agencies, better uh, support services that can be put in place to support individuals with mental health conditions, let's put that right funding there. So um, there's so so many moving pieces here. Uh, Talking about it, it can become overwhelming. Uh, as, as I'm, as I'm laying this all out there, you know, my mind is jumping to so many different aspects of care, uh, so many different audiences, uh, it can be overwhelming, but I think what we're trying to do is at least bring some clarity to some of these areas and develop some solutions that can tackle, uh, some of these problems that we're highlighting today.
0: Eli, I do want to specifically use the word prevention in, in the work you all are doing. I had a, a job for about three years right out of, uh, college where I was focused on youth substance uh, use prevention. And so I really lived that life. And it really was eye opening how little funding there was for prevention. You know, and that's one of those things, in my opinion, where if you can get more funding, more focus on that area, it has a huge impact on downstream effects. If you have more in prevention, there's less treatment there is less intersection uh, with the criminal justice system, but it is really hard to convince people to spend money on prevention. Could you speak a little bit to that specifically, how Nexus um, is advocating for more resources in the area of prevention?
1: So I think we haven't necessarily tackled funding, right, uh, for that specific idea of prevention. But again, I think... In terms of trying to identify mental health conditions as early as possible, getting the right supports in place as early as possible, um, is our idea of prevention, right? Uh, Not letting an individual continue on a journey that will land them in the justice system, right? Uh, When you could have potentially identified trauma early on, right? And so we're trying to bring awareness to tools that individuals can use. For instance, the ACEs, right? The Adverse Childhood Events Scale. I've heard a lot about this at different conferences, I've heard about this from our collaborators, Uh, but is there an opportunity to use these types of screeners to understand is a particular child, have they experienced or had certain experiences that could set them on a trajectory um, that they shouldn't be on. And so what can we do, again, to bring the right supports into place uh, to prevent or to put them on on a, on a better path uh, in terms of having the right supports? I think that's kind of where we're focusing in on is how can we uh help generate greater understanding of mental health conditions how they present themselves how early they can present themselves again so that the right supports are put into place and hopefully you can stem off some of the substance abuse you can stem off some of the behavioral issues that could land you know an individual in trouble you know where a law enforcement individual is called in and unfortunately this child now has an intersection with the criminal justice system that will be we carried with them for some time. So I think that's kind of our focus is how to get ahead of this as much as we possibly can.
0: Right, you're, you're creating the environment by, by which prevention becomes I, top of mind for a lot of the organizations you're working with, just by the nature of creating a community of organizations who all have the same mission. I would say that, that prevention is baked into a lot of what you do. Now, it might not be your organization Nexus funding or getting funding for those things. But, but the environment create, I think, certainly is really shining a light on the uh, importance of, of prevention.
1: Absolutely. Wouldn't it be great as, you know, when you go into school, and I think this is starting to happen, but, you know, as a child, your earliest interactions with education, yes, it's about, you know, reading, writing, math, but also caring for yourself. Not just physically, but also mentally, And that should just be core uh, to the way that uh, these institutions work. So again, I think that helps to prevent you know kind of the downstream detrimental effects of, you know traumas and other you know kind of mental health conditions that that go unsupported. Um, I, I think that's the environment that we're trying to create.
2: So you mentioned earlier the three pillars, the youth, women, and criminal justice system. Um, We've talked a fair amount about youth and criminal justice system. I'd be interested in hearing more about women and some of the team players, and some of the goals once pandemic eases its restrictions?
1: Absolutely. So with regards to women, the unmet needs that we've identified uh, are, the first is identifying trauma in women. And what we've found in our research is that many women don't understand that what they have experienced is trauma. Uh, what they have experienced can lead to post-traumatic stress disorder. What we found is that PTSD today is associated more with veterans, right? Individuals who have been through uh, combat. What we don't understand or need a greater appreciation for is that trauma takes many forms: interpersonal relationships, uh, abuse, um, sexual abuse. And so we're trying to generate awareness of what trauma is uh, and the steps that can be taken to uh, address that trauma, to seek the appropriate supports. Uh, another area that we've seen is that women tend to be the, and we've we probably heard this phrase before, but the health CEOs of their homes. So much so, unfortunately, women tend to put their own health needs on the sidelines when they're caring for their families. So their children's health, their spouses, maybe older adults, uh, the family parents, Uh, They will care for everyone else but neglect their own health. And so we found that this is an area of need that needs to be addressed. So how can we ensure that this individual, this woman, uh, is able to care for themselves while caring for the rest of the family and get other supports to help care for the family and not just have that burden always falling uh, square on the shoulders of the the mother or the, the woman in the family. Another area is, and I mentioned it a little bit about it earlier, is uh, the way that mental health conditions can present differently in women versus men and understanding those differences, understanding uh, how to recognize it, uh, and then again, put the appropriate supports in place. I think later on down the line, we also want to understand or, or drive more awareness of the need to conduct clinical trials, if you will, um, to really understand the differential impact that medications or interventions, treatments can have between men and women. I think we've seen a lot recently about how uh, the pandemic is affecting women differentially versus men. We're not all being impacted Mm -hmm. the same way. Uh, And so there Mm -hmm. are gender differences that need to be understood. Uh, that can help maybe guide what the most effective supports are. So these are just a few of the areas that we're focusing in on uh, with regards to the women's pillar uh, for Nexus.
2: I have one more question, and you may not have a, you know, a complete list in front of you, but who are some of the players and their organizations uh,
1: represented on this Nexus team? Absolutely. So I've mentioned a few of them already, right, and these would be some of our uh, usual uh, suspects, if you will. But we're collaborating very closely with NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, uh, MHA, Mental Health America, the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance, DVSA. Um, we're partnering with the American Psychiatric Association Foundation, the APAF. Um, so those are Some of the audiences that we've traditionally worked with more uh, in the past, but we're trying to bring in uh, new groups as well. So uh, we're working, for instance, with the American Medical Women's Association, right? An organization that looks at healthcare very broadly. We're working with them um, and they're giving us great insights into how women are impacted differently, right? And we're trying to you know, also work with them more closely on mental health programming. Uh, we're looking at the Caregiver Action Network and the National Alliance for Caregiving to specifically kind of understand how caregivers are impacted. I spoke to in the women's pillar, how, you know, caregiving tends to fall on uh, the shoulder of the women in the family. So we're working with these organizations to understand uh, kind of that angle. Uh, we're working with individuals from the Corrections Education Association, right, uh, to understand, again, that, that environment In terms of the justice system, the the National Center for Youth Opportunity and Justice, another organization looking at the justice system, but also specifically from the view in terms of youth uh, and youth coming into contact with the justice system. Uh, So there are quite a number of organizations: Uh, the American Counseling Association, the Rape Abuse and Incest National Network. Uh, There are quite a number of organizations that we consider core collaborators, Uh, and then there's a broader group of organizations that we've reached out to in order to get their input on the work that we're doing. And so they may not necessarily be members of our core working group, but uh, they are providing feedback, right? We're all very busy. And so, obviously, every organization has a different capacity for uh, how much they can contribute in terms of their time and collaboration. But we value all of the input that we're receiving from all of these uh, organizations, all of the individuals involved. Uh, and it's just been great to, to really be able to build up this network uh, to distribute our communications or ideas, you know, kind of the work that we're doing. Uh, much more broadly through the different groups that we've connected with. Uh, and we're just hoping as we move forward that we'll be able to grow this group uh, of collaborators. And again, grow it in a way where we're actually bringing in, want to start bringing in youth, right? Young folks uh, who can kind of really shed light on their experiences, bring in more individuals who have actually, you know, been through the justice system, unfortunately, uh, but living with a mental health condition who can help give us more more insight into their experience and kind of areas that we can target for potential solutions. Uh, obviously working with uh, young women who have been impacted, who maybe didn't understand uh, kind of what supports were available or how you know the environment could have been different to help support them in their time of need. Um, so, so these are just kind of the ways that we want to grow um, the group again, you know, I think this year was a very or this past year was a very unique year. Uh, we had to pivot in in different directions, uh, but uh, we, we accomplished quite a bit. But we're very much looking forward to what we can accomplish as we move forward.
0: I, I do want to say getting back to that word we started with, unconventional. It, it's interesting how in the world of people with lived experience, you know, people who have a mental health diagnosis, sometimes they are considered unconventional because it's the professionals, it's the uh, well-known organizations where that expertise is really appreciated. But I would contend that the people with lived experience should be among the most conventional people to be working with because that input, and you were just touching on that at the end of you know, your comments there, just very valuable.
1: Yeah, they are the neuroscience experts. They are the neuroscience experts. They're the ones who know this more than anyone. I I will say it's interesting, you know, when I was talking earlier about traditionally how pharma went about doing things, and I don't want to say all pharmas did this, I can't do that, but um, there was a time when we would conduct research and we would talk to physicians and we'd ask them about the patients that they were seeing, right? Those individuals with lived experience, asking them for, you know, what they were going through. And, we would rely on this, but I, I think we we we've learned that lesson, you know, a while ago, um, and it's great. You're right. We need to go directly to the individuals who are living with these conditions day in and day out, because it is their experience that that matters most. Uh, they need to be at the center of all the work that we're doing, and they're the ones who need to, you know, really provide that input in terms of, hey, we think we should do X. What is this going to work or not? Um, And so that's what we're striving for, is really being able to get that input and make sure that those individuals are driving the work that we're doing.
0: Why don't we uh, transition here um, to the uh, key question we ask everyone, Eli, and that is, uh, what does healing mean to you personally?
1: Healing for me, and I'll also, you know, kind of connect that to wellness, is Being able, honestly, and I I find this personal, very truthful in terms of my experience right now, is being able to go to bed at night and be able to fall asleep relatively quickly without having those ruminating thoughts in your mind that keep you up, right? You know, when you look at healing, when you look at wellness, yes, there is a physical component to it. Uh, and having to care for yourself physically. But more importantly, and I think it's because I focus in on the mental health space, uh, because of the pandemic and everything that I've seen, because of the impact that the pandemic has had on me and my mental state in terms of workload increasing, uh, in terms of trying to navigate, you know, working in a virtual environment, trying to figure out, okay, try to do my job today Uh, But then also figure out what does my job look like in the future and trying to map that out because of the pandemic. These things keep you up at night. For me, therefore, wellness is more important really is being able to get yourself to a place where you find the right balance, you make the right decisions to bring balance to your life so that when you go to bed at night, you can fall asleep and you can rest. but, but I think it's so important uh, because I, I found, you know, if you can't sleep, if you don't rest, it just it's a cycle. You know, it, it definitely is a cycle. I'm not I'm not mentioning anything groundbreaking here. I think, you know, that this, you know, a lot of folks will be able to connect with that. But but more and more, I just feel that is really a sign of, of being of healing, of, of wellness, uh, is that idea of being able to sleep well at night. Um, you know, I, I think there are individuals who have physical uh, conditions um, but they can find healing and peace and wellness and sleep well at night right it, it really is that mental uh, aspect that i think really changes the game um, and really can define whether or not someone uh, is healing whether or not someone is feeling well uh is that that mental health aspect
2: i just read an article myself because i i have a sleep disorder myself and I'm trying to get a handle on it and It was, you know, it was talking, of course, they talk about sleep hygiene and ways you can get to sleep. Um, But some of us just don't have metabolisms or our bodies are just not built to be able to sleep well. Um, So sleep is essential.
1: Absolutely. And sleep hygiene goes so far, right? Um, I, I there's that last step, which is: is there something keeping you up though? So I just don't believe that if you stop caffeine at a certain time and stop looking at you know the screens, because that definitely has an impact on you. And if you eat the right foods and things like that, I think that takes you so far in terms of setting the environment. You know, kind of similar to the conversation we had earlier. Doing all those things can help set the environment for you to get a good night's sleep, but If there's still, are if there are still those issues that are keeping you up, right? You're still not going to fall asleep, right? Because your mind is just racing, thinking about how am I going to get this done? How am I going to get through this? I can't believe that happened or, you know, whatever it is that someone's working through without that last piece, you're still not going to be able to sleep well at night.
0: The last thing I will say before we wrap up is on our first discussion, uh, the comment was made that Otsuka wants to become a wellness company. I really appreciate that statement because I think pivoting to that point of view for an organization just really sets the course in In a little bit of a different direction, right? And so I'm very thankful for that. And I I think it's evident that that is what's happening because Otsuka is so dedicated to Nexus and the work we've been discussing during this interview. So thank you for that.
1: I'm thankful to the organization. Uh, We are a pharmaceutical company. Yes, we manufacture medications and There is a role, there is a time, there is a place, there is a role for medication. But um, yeah, our organization is focused much more broadly and Nexus is a great example of that. I'm thankful that we're able to get the support of our leadership to tackle unmet needs that cannot be addressed uh, by medications. And so uh, this really is energizing. Uh, It really, you know, uh, provides our organization and the individuals involved with a sense of purpose, um, the fact that you know we can really drive towards making a difference. So we're very excited by this work. We're very thankful. I'm very thankful um, to Otsuka um, for allowing me to do this type of work, uh, to be able to connect with individuals such as yourselves and have this type of conversation. It, it, it's just a great atmosphere or a great environment to work in. Uh, and I'm very much, as I said, looking forward to what we can accomplish in 2021.
0: Tony, Eli Perez, excellent uh, way to kick off the new year here. What are some yeah. of your thoughts about what you had to say about Nexus?
2: Well, I think it's great that they are trying to bring different unconventional stakeholders, as they call them. It is good to have a balance of advocates with experts, if you want to call them the professional, uh, rather than just one or the other. Best, they can get... Uh, Crew of positive persons listening to each other and moving forward in serving the needs of you know people with uh, brain disorders, brain illness. My concern would would only be that uh, we we not disavow or dis discontinue uh, listening to the experts, uh, right? And by that I mean the medical professionals, the scientific. Researchers uh, that uh, are also coming to the table with research about what the organic brain is telling you. You know,
0: I think there is a pendulum swing a bit from just total reliance on professionals. You know, the the doctors, right, and trying to get more into really listening to the advocates. I think that Nexus is definitely going to fall somewhere in the middle in an appropriate balance. Where we need to be but yes always the science and I, I think especially with a nexus with a backbone in the pharmaceutical industry we'll be able to strike a good balance and listen to a, a wide array of, of voices in the areas of you know their women uh, children and those in the in the justice system.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, they're going to listen to the scientists and you see the, the conferences, it's Dr. Fauci speaking and we're not going to have um, people on any sort of advocacy, whether it be political uh, or social or the primary spokespeople for solving health care issues will be Uh, those who understand the science.
0: Right. I love the media that Nexus is putting out. Uh, Eli alluded to some videos they have, as well as the podcasts that he produces. Uh, You can just look up Nexus, you know, in your favorite podcast app and find Eli's interviews that are aligned with the women, uh, youth, and Criminal justice focus areas. Susan, uh, Tony's wife, is part of the criminal justice podcast, and it's really good. So
2: her professional name is Susan Lockwood Roberts. I uh, I don't call her actually. She's Dr. Susan Lockwood Roberts. Yes. And I don't call her that as an endearing term, but we just call each other honey. <laughs>
0: And, you know, keep it up, Eli. Keep producing original content. Uh, You all are finding space where we need to have uh, these voices. And uh, I'm really thankful we've been able to promote uh, you and, and the work of Nexus.
2: You've got a great thing going. And I look forward when all the good vision casting you're doing can come to fruition.
0: Tony, our show has come to a close. Now is the time to ask for five-star reviews. Please scroll to the bottom of our podcast homepage, click on five stars, then click on write a review.
2: Help us reach more people seeking emotional healing and the hope of faith. Thanks again for your support of Revealing Voices.
0: Revealing Voices is not a substitute for professional mental health care or participation in a faith community. If your unanswered questions or unanswered prayers leave you feeling desperate or unsafe, we urge you to seek further help. A partial list of outreach resources may be found on our website, revealingvoices.com.
2: You're a chilly cat. I'm back with you. You got a crazy cat. Oh, let me I'm going to put him upstairs.
0: You're a crazy cat. You're a crazy cat.